Welcome to Negotiation with Alice, your negotiation podcast. I am here to answer all your questions about anything and everything negotiation-based. It can be about something with your children, your spouse, your friends, your colleagues, your family, your parents. Come on the show, ask me a question, and I will give you negotiation advice. Welcome to the show. And today I'm very excited to have Tracy Root here as my guest. So Tracy, please introduce yourself. Yes, I'm so excited for your podcast and I love getting your insight on things. So I'm super stoked to have this opportunity. Uh, My name is Tracy Root and I live in Santa Cruz, California. I am a coach for women who want to be bold in their life, in their business. And I have a community of women called the Gather Community. We began as an in-person space pre-pandemic and in early 2020, we shifted to becoming, well, I guess international is a good word international community of women entrepreneurs where we help them get visibility and we have events and we do lots of networking and connection and relationship building between the women in business community. So it's super fun. And um, I'm always looking for great people to, you know, join us and become part of our, our world. So that's why I love speaking and that's why I'm here. Wonderful. Thanks for being here, Tracy. And I believe today your question is surrounding a family negotiation. So can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I, um, you know, I was trying to figure out what would be the best question to bring. And this is the one that just kind of kept coming back to me. I have a 14 year old kid. They are in the LGBTQ community at school, out in the world, and they want to change their name legally. They've been going by a a name that they chose for themselves several years ago. I want to say it was in seventh grade and maybe sixth grade, somewhere in that early middle school timeframe. And they don't ever see themselves going back to what they consider to be their dead name. And this is something that, you know, I live in Santa Cruz. This is not an an uncommon situation in our world. I know parts of the country, parts of the world, it's less common, but it's becoming more and more of a thing. So I thought that maybe this was something we could bring to the table here today. My being that they're 14 and a half, they're coming to the age where some things are going to have to start being created. They need a bank account for their um, paychecks, for their job. There's a driver's license in the future. Honestly, they have to get their passport renewed. It's going to expire. And they really want to change the name so that it's uh, so that it's the name that they've been going by that they foresee using for the long term. Yet, as parents, we're at different stages of being on board with that. Myself, I'm I'm more of the mind of, well it's just a name change how like it's not that complicated what's the big deal and my husband is less willing at this time more uh interested in letting them make that change once they become 18 become an adult and do it on their own i'm concerned about all the things that would have to change at that time if we wait that long and how challenging that will be going into college and like there's a lot of things that it would be struggling, I think, to do that when um, they have different things to focus on. 
Absolutely. So thank you so much, Tracy, for bringing um, such a vulnerable topic. But I think that there will be many people who can understand the position that you're in. And what I love about this particular uh, negotiation is that it is a it highlights the position versus interest based negotiation very clearly. So the position is I want to change my name legally versus the other position, which is no, you can't do it until you turn 18 and you're on your own. So these are very clearly the positions. And, and it seems like it's a really common kind of parent teenager dynamic, whether it's a name change or anything like you can do that when you're an adult versus I'm, you know, 15, 16, they're going to be and, you know, practically adulting already as a midlife, you know, mid teenager, it's a lot of serious stuff happening. Exactly. So very rarely do position-based negotiations ever resolve. And so that's why as a negotiation coach, I really encourage people to try to switch to interest-based negotiation. And what that means is that I, I, both sides have to really think about what are their interests, right? For your child, it could be something like there's going to be a long-term ramification. If I change my uh, passport now, it's going to last for, you know, several more years beyond when I'm 18. It could be, you know, there's a lot of different things that go with that. So your child would have to come up with a list of like, here are the reasons. It's not just a, oh, this is what I want, mm -hmm. but the reasons why that's so important to me and the reason why it's important to me now, right? Because like you said, licenses yeah. could last 10 years. So even if they turn 18 and three years, it could be much longer ramification, right? So to be able to list all of the reasons, and then for your husband to be able to list all of his reasons why he wants your child to wait till they're 18. And so that should be, again, the interest. Mm -hmm. And so ideally, there's going to be a point at which there's going to be some overlap in their interests. And then you can start to build out a common resolution or agreement based on the common interest that the two of them have. Because as long as they're stuck to their interests or sorry, their positions, we can't tell what's going on beneath that. All you hear is I want this. And the other person says, no, I want that. And what we want to do is have a deeper understanding of why each person wants the thing that they want. Now, that's just the beginning. That's just the prep work. Then there's a couple of other negotiations that have to happen. The first negotiation being, can we sit down and have a discussion so that we can hear each other more clearly, right? Because everyone has to be willing to have the conversation. If one side says, no, I'm not having that conversation, it's difficult to dive into the more important conversation of the why, right? That everyone has prepared. So first you want to get everyone on board to say, okay, I'm willing to come to the table to have a discussion. Now, since Tracy, you are the mediator in effect in this particular situation, what I would recommend as the mediator is to set up the rules of engagement during the conversation. So you're going to say, let's all agree that there's not going to be any interrupting. Let's all agree that there's not going to be name calling, that there isn't going to be raised voices, that there's not going to be denigrating one another by, you know, putting each other down, even in a slight bit to say like, yeah, you never do that. Or you're never supportive. Like that kind of thing is you're, you're going to discourage those kind of comments. And you're going to say, if I hear these things happening, I'm going to ask you to stop. Right. And can we all agree to the rules of engagement? 
That is a lot of things because once you set the rules up and everyone has agreed, it's very easy for you as the mediator to police everything. Mm -hmm. If you don't set up the rules of engagement and you try to police it going along, people are going to say like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that, Tracy? You're not letting me talk or, you know? And so if you set up the rules of engagement, you can say, remember, we said no interrupting. Please don't interrupt. Hold on a second. Let the other person finish. And you can police them because they know, oh, I broke the rule, right? Yeah. And so you want to continue that. You also want to frame the fact that you might be asking each side to please repeat back what they heard from the other party. And the reason why you want to set that framework up is number one, if you start doing it without explaining to them why, they will say, why are you doing this? This is really condescending, right? But this is what you're doing. This particular tool is very effective in making sure that both sides actually hear each other and understand what the other person is trying to say. They're going to be tending to figure out, like figure out their response before really hearing, right? Yes. And so you're going to notice that because you're going to say, okay, husband, can you please repeat back what it is that you heard? If they were thinking about something else, if they were thinking about the response, if they were feeling defensive, suddenly you're going to notice that because when you ask them to repeat everything back, they won't be able to do it. It's very, very clear. And they will, or they will start and then they will go out and sidetrack and start formulating their, um, their response. And you're going to say, hold on. I still didn't hear everything that was said. Can you please like keep them on track and say, I need to hear everything that was said because you're missing, you're still missing pieces of information. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, they might say, okay, I'm sorry, but I only heard the part I talked about. I didn't hear the rest. Then you ask the other person, can you go ahead and repeat it again? And then if he gets it right, then he can confirm, did I get everything right? And the other person can say yes or no. And so you do this back and forth to make sure there's clear communication with both sides. All right. So that's sort of your role as the mediator. Now, the other thing that you can do as the facilitator of the conversation is to just ask deeper questions. Right. So why is that important? What do you feel like would happen if we did this other thing? What are some of your concerns? What are you afraid of? You know, and if they don't want to be pigeonholed into, oh, afraid, they might say, well, I'm not afraid, Tracy. And you say, okay, that's fair. You're not afraid. What are some of the deeper concerns that you have? And you want to make sure both sides hear each other, even if they do not agree. Yeah. Because that's the most important thing. So once they start to understand, you're going to see some shifting of people's perspectives And if they both come to a better understanding, there might even be some kind of a compromise. I don't know what that looks like, but you might notice that people start to give in when they have a deeper understanding of one another. You can't have that conversation without you, the facilitator slash mediator being there, because what happens is when they're getting defensive because they're more and more stuck in their position, the listening stops and there's only talking. They may or may not be interrupting each other, but there's clearly not going to be any listening. Right. They're just kind of sticking yes. to their opinion to their position. Like yes. Yes. And so you really want to try to find out. And as the person who is monitoring and facilitating the conversation, I want you to try to listen very deeply so that you can ask more and more questions based on the answers they're giving you. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then that will, you will notice a shift in energy and their thought processes 
if you're able to get them to really hear each other, but you have to do it in this very uh, rigid framework because it's a very difficult conversation. Both parties have very strong views on why they want what they want, but you have to unearth the why so that the other party can see them and understand them. ever wondered how do I get my spouse to do more of their share of the chores or you figure how can I convince them to go on this vacation you're basically negotiating so if you'd like to get better at negotiations so that you can have better outcomes in your life please check out Alice's negotiation courses you can find them at negotiationwithalice.com. Please visit my website, come and join and be a part of our small group negotiation course, and I will get your negotiation chops a lot sharper. Let me ask a question. It's so I had, you know, cursory conversations with both sides. Um, and on the defensive, I don't want to side, they're... I mean, I suppose this is what would come out of kind of preparing is there has been just like, well, that's just how I think it should be. Right. It's just should, there's a lot of should going on over there. Right. Um, you know, and so what if that's just where they stay? So what I would do, and I'm guessing this is, is this um, your husband's viewpoint or your child's yeah, viewpoint? Your husband's, husband's viewpoint. So what I would say in that case is I would say, it's not just that I want you to be swayed to the other person's side. I want them to be able to hear what your side is and deeply understand yeah. your okay. reasoning as well. Because people, like too. <laughs> people, people usually will say no because they feel like they're going into a conversation where they're not going to be heard and they're only going to be forced to swallow the other side's perspective. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's why they're not interested in having the conversation like a wall right but if you say look i want both sides to have a deeper understanding i want to understand your side as well but i want to do it in a group setting in a group conversation not just between me and you but the three of us and i would like our child to deeply understand your position right and sometimes people might be afraid because they haven't really thought deeply about their own reasons And so they might feel like, well, I don't really know how to articulate what it is that I want. I just know I want what I want and I don't know the reason. Yeah. And so you can help them prepare by saying, let's sit down and and let's talk about it. Let's talk about what are the things. If you want my help to prepare for this conversation, I'm here to help you prepare. Because I want this to be an open dialogue. It's not just one side versus the other. It's to contribute to the pool of understanding that everyone is coming to, right? All three of you are coming to a a meeting together. There is a mutual pool of understanding and you want everyone to contribute to this pool of understanding. And then we can come out with a deeper understanding and perhaps an agreed upon resolution based on this deeper pool. But if everyone is not contributing, it's not helpful. And you going back and forth is also not that helpful. Right. You're feeling like um, you're like, okay, I'm being a mediator, but I'm not being very effective. Yeah. And definitely, yeah, stuck in the middle of two different people's opinions without being able to do anything about it. Yes. Yes. So try that approach. Try to negotiate the meeting. 
and then try to do the mediation in between by setting up the frameworks by which they have the rules of engagement. And then you're going to police that and then make sure that they are mirroring each other. And then you're going to ask, you're going to ask, okay, please, can I hear what you understood? And then you go back and check with the other side. Did they get it right? And so you don't have to do it throughout, but you need to do it at times when you feel like there's defensiveness and lots of strong emotion going on. You want to slow the conversation down. Timing and keeping things slow is very important because the amount of information that someone can process and digest is severely limited when it comes to heightened emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And so how does that, does that play a factor in the fact that I'm dealing with a teenager on one side, like the, the pace. And cause I have a feeling like they would be like, I can't do this anymore. It's like taking too long. I'm exhausted. Like this, I have this, you know, vision of kind of that side of things being the length of time this conversation might take is longer than they can kind of handle. So, you know, you can uh, really assess how long you think your child can manage and is an hour too long, because I think an hour is a good amount of time to get into the meat and potatoes of a, of a deep conversation. Well, and I can set that, that expectation as well. This is probably going to take us an hour long. Can you, are you, you know, are you you ready for that? You know, all that kind of stuff. To get prepared. And it could be anywhere between one and two hours, right? However, A, the to give them the expectations that it will be an hour to two hours and also to set up a time and day where everyone feels like they have the energy yeah. to get through. Well, you don't want to do it at 7 p.m. at night after everyone's gone to school and they've gone to work and everyone's exhausted, but right. maybe it's Saturday morning it's at nine o'clock, yeah. Yeah. right? Or something like that. That's on a weekend. People feel energized. They feel rested. They have time to prepare. They have their expectations that are set that, hey, ideally it'll be an hour Let's say worst case scenario, we get to two hours, but we'll end within two hours. But let's just have a discussion. This is more not about let's convince one another, but let's see if we can get to a deeper understanding. And if we can get there, then we can talk about what next steps might look like. So it's more of a gentle goal. It's not the goal of we're going to come in and we're going to you're going to go get what you want. Right. Right. You're trying to get them to a deeper understanding first. And then you're hinting that there will be a negotiation that will lead to really good outcomes after they get, they get to a deeper understanding. Yeah. Right. Because, and, and honestly, it might not be that day, but right. at least you can take that experience exactly. and move on to the yes. next opportunity or whatever. Yes. Or even they both say, you know what, now I have a deeper understanding. Let me go and think about it and we'll yeah. come back and reconvene. So it will shift the dynamics 100%. If everyone comes to the table refreshed, ready to hear the other person. And if you're able to mediate and facilitate the conversation for them. Okay. One more question specifically because you said, come to the table. What was coming in my mind was the environment, right? I know that, you know, there's a lot of um, like parenting teenagers advice out there. Like we have conversations in the car, right? Why do we do that? Because we're next to each other, not facing each other. And it's easier for them to talk, not looking at our faces, Would you agree that this could happen, not in the car, but, you know, like in a more casual kind of setting? Or do you think they need to be looking at each other across the table to have this be as effective as it can be? So ideally what you want is something 
a setup where everyone feels as calm as possible. So whatever that looks like, is it a walk on the beach, right? Or I'm just kind of thinking dining room table versus living room sofa. Right. So you want everyone to be as comfortable as possible because if people are put in a position where they feel uncomfortable, that discomfort is going to start shutting their brain down and they're not going to be able to think properly. So you want to be able to give people the space and the comfort to say, okay, I can express myself and I'm feeling relaxed and I feel safe. The most important thing is that they feel psychologically and emotionally safe in the conversation that no one is going to put them down, bully them, talk over them, yell at them. So I think as long as you can set up those ground rules, really, whether it's at the dining room table or the living room, the most important thing is that especially for your child, but also for your husband, that they feel like they're not going to go get attacked. Yeah. And you as the mediator of this conversation, you can't take sides. Right. Because then it's going to be two against one. Right. And when I was thinking about bringing this question to you, I was like, and I'm going to have to just be in the middle and not because I, you know, I have been leaning towards, okay, why not? But at the same time, I want to respect my husband and his feelings on it. And, and I want to better understand, you know, because he has been like, just (laughs) cause. Yes, of course. And yeah. And then try not to use why questions, use what and how questions, because why questions put people on the defensive. And um, so, yeah, so if you have a why question, like, well, why, why don't you agree to that? Change it, change it to say something like, what are some of the reasons that you have for being against that? And then that will lessen the defensiveness on the other persons. And people can go into list mode instead of just because. Right. And also, you know, people are defensive when they feel like you're there just for your own agenda versus you are there to listen to them to get a deeper understanding. If if he if you can get him to feel like, look, we're here, we both of us would like to hear a deeper understanding of you, as well as I'd like our child to have a deep, you know, you'd have a deeper understanding of our child. If they feel like you're truly there for that then they're going to be a little bit more vulnerable and open. If they feel like you are there with just your agenda to push their buttons and force them into wherever you want, they're not going to be open. So you want to be very careful as a mediator that you stay open and neutral and that your child, that actually both of them come in with an open mind to say, I'm here to listen to the other side. Right now we're just having the first conversation of maybe many or a few where we're trying to deepen the understanding of each other, because right now what you're trying to do is get them off of their positions and move them into an interest-based negotiation. And that takes time. It doesn't happen right away, but I think you can definitely have, you know, maybe even if, if more than an hour is too long, you can always say, okay, great. If we need to go more than an hour, we'll just break and we'll reschedule another meeting on another day. And then when you come back the second time, make sure you again, reiterate the rules of engagement to remind everyone. And then you can, again, be the neutral party to help facilitate the conversation. Yeah. Okay. Great. Fantastic. Fabulous. Like the only paper I grab, I didn't grab paper in advance. So all I have is post-its and I have four (laughs) post-its worth of notes that I need to go put down somewhere on a piece of paper that I can keep so that we can make this happen. This is awesome. Great. I'm looking forward to hearing how things go. So keep in touch with me. And then how can people reach out and um, <laughs> get in touch with you if they want to work with you, Tracy? 
Yes. Well, you know, the gather community, as I mentioned, is for women entrepreneurs or women in business. So that's a great place to kind of join us. We have a Facebook group and you can always find me definitely on all the socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Um, the, for me as a coach, helping women to be more bold in their business. Um, I mean, it's still a great place to start because you're going to be engaging with me as it's my peeps. Um, so I will say that the easiest way though, is just to take my name, Tracy Root. TracyRoot.com is my website and you can find me as Tracy Tree Root on uh, Facebook. Thank you for tuning in to Negotiation with Alice, your negotiation podcast. It's been a pleasure having you be part of the conversation. Please hit like, share, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. If you enjoyed my podcast, Negotiation with Alice, and are interested in working with me to level up your negotiation, communication, and persuasion skills, please check out ShekinahNegotiationAcademy.com. That's Shakina spelled S-H-I-K-I-N-A, NegotiationAcademy.com. See you on the next podcast.